Well, good morning. I appreciate the uh, contributions and the efforts that we've had this past few weeks on the socks for Glenview Elementary. And so that's coming to an end uh, for this month. And so you can bring that uh, up through Wednesday night. And so uh, we will be taking the money that's been donated and we will purchase socks with that, those funds. And then we'll take the socks that have been donated and we'll carry them all over to Glenview. So there, we were there uh, this last week for the pantry and so they're very excited and appreciative to be able to distribute these to the families that are in need. And some of the staff that is there are in need also. And so we're glad to do that. Uh, we'll be in another few weeks. We'll be talking about once again our holiday boxes for these families at the pantry. So uh, that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks. And then a week from tomorrow, we're going to be doing our Genesis Campus Ministry meal. And so we do this twice a year, ULR has a Church of Christ-sponsored campus ministry. It's overseen by the Central Church in Little Rock and, and contributions throughout the year from our sister congregations. And so we participate twice a year in helping provide a meal uh, for about the 50 college students that are there. They're from all over the world. And so um, maybe a handful of them are members of the church uh, that come to UALR and the rest are being exposed to Christ and, and His Word uh, through the efforts of the church there. And so an email will be going out tomorrow asking if you'll be able to provide a dessert and some sides. We're doing hamburgers for them. And so uh, if you don't do email through the church, if you'll see me after services today, if you're willing to help uh, with a dessert. And so we'll need that by Sunday. Uh, you can bring it next Sunday or by Monday morning at the latest. And then I'll carry that over there uh, for their meal Monday evening. So just some things coming up, some ways that uh, that we can be involved uh, together in a way that we can get the, the, the message that Summers Avenue is a vibrant congregation that cares about uh, the people around us. And so uh, I hope you will uh, look for ways coming up that you can, can serve in that capacity. So his name is Jeff, and he grew up rough. Had a pretty rough upbringing. I mean, can you imagine? His dad was kind of a prominent man around town, but his dad was also a man known for his exploits around town. And so see that much of the, the content of sidewalk whispers and living room conversations was of his father and of his escapades. And in fact, this young man was born from one of these exploits, if you will. His mother was a prostitute. Can you imagine that? His mother was a prostitute. And so his, 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 his half-brothers and sisters, well, they treated him just just as you can imagine that they would have. I mean, the attitude was, you're not really part of this family. And so you're not, you have no inheritance with us. And so it would really be best if you just kind of left, just got out of town, kind of got out of our lives, and let's clean up this mess that you're a part of. Even though he had no choice in who his mother was. And yet he finds himself treated as a reject. Son of another woman. Jephthah was his name. Jephthah. It's right there in Judges chapter 11. That's where we're picking it up today. Judges chapter 11 and verse 3. So Jephthah left his half-brothers and lived in the land of Tov. Lawless men joined Jephthah's gang and traveled with him. Now, one of the primary reasons that kids are recruited into gangs today, easily recruited into gangs, is because they provide this environment, this sense of belonging. This sense of family, if you will, that they haven't found anywhere else. It was no different then than it is today. And so Jephthah found out that, that he's a natural leader. 
I mean, you kind of have to be if you've got even the, 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 the castaways, even the lowest of the low who will follow you. You've got to have some leadership ability there. And so some translate this, these words here as lawless or worthless for these men. But the sense here is more of emptiness. It's empty men, which really relates back to men without a home or men without roots. They were wanderers. They were rejects in themselves. And so we remember at this time of the judges, there was no king among Israel for the Hebrews there. And so Scripture says that everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. They were kind of plotting their own path there. And so the Hebrews were practicing and permitting idolatry against the commandment of God. And in turn, God was disciplining them through these invading nations who were coming in and impressing them and making things pretty miserable for them. And so the people, God's people around Gilead, had been overrun by the Ammonites. And Jephthah and his band of, of outcasts, his, of outlaws, if you will, Robin Hood and his band of merry men, they were apparently raiding some of the, the villages there, these Ammonites. And so word gets back to the elders of his hometown, Gilead, where he had been kicked out from. And so verse 5 says, When the Ammonites attacked, the leaders of Gilead asked Jephthah to come back from the land of Tob. They said, come be our commander so we can fight with the Ammonites. See, they had heard about how good Jephthah was at leading all these raids. So they said, hey, we need you back home to help us out. And Jephthah said to the leaders, but you hated me. <laughs> Let's see. Let's, let me remind you of something. You hated me and made me leave my father's house. Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Isn't that the way things go? Everybody's our enemy until we need something from them, right? And then they're our best friend. And so the leaders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that may be true, but now we pledge to you our Lord. Now things are different. <laughs> Come with us and fight with the Ammonites. Then you will become the leader of all who lived in Gilead. And so Jephthah said to the leaders of Gilead, all right, all right then, if you take me back to fight with the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. And so the leaders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will judge any grievance you have against us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the leaders of Gilead. The people made him their leader and their commander. And Jephthah repeated the terms of the agreement before the Lord in Mizpah. So Jephthah didn't just want to be military leader. He didn't just want a military victory. Jephthah wanted to be king. He wanted to be ruler of the people. He wanted to go from the low man on the totem pole to the top dog. That's what he wanted out of this deal. He didn't want to be used by his people. He wanted to be restored to his people. And so the elders make this vow to him before God that if he wins, then they're going to do what he has. We're going to make you our leader. And so we've looked in Hebrews chapter 11 over the last several weeks and out of all the examples of Scripture and the broader history of, of, of God's people before the writing of, of this letter, why did the author bring these specific people to mind? Why did he lift their names up before our eyes as people who are examples of, of living by faith? See, I think perhaps sometimes we focus on the grand and these awe-inspiring actions of others. We look for the big, big, great things in people's lives and, and we measure their faithfulness or, dare I say, their worth as a believer of God, as a follower of Jesus. We tend to measure one another with these superficial metrics. We're pretty superficial 
when we measure each other up. Because see, he smokes. He smokes. I wonder what else he does. You know, how people are who smoke. She, see those clothes she wears? I can only imagine how she is. Did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they said? Yeah, but you know what they meant. You know what they meant. You know what they meant, right? They voted for who? Who'd they vote? They, they call themselves Christian? See, we look and we look with our own distorted views. And we tend to accentuate and we assume the best and the worst in someone depending on their ranking, our ranking of their own characteristics or their own actions. And then, of course, we feel that God, God feels the same way I do about it, right? I mean, God has the same standards I have. It's about what looks the best or worst to me. So we got Jephthah here. Jephthah's half-brothers and his stepmother rejected him because of this label they assigned to him, worthless. He's worthless in this family. And so Jephthah works this contract deal. Man, there's some, there's some sports players who would love to have him as their agent because of this deal he works out here that guarantees the same people who rejected him as family are now going to acknowledge him as leader. He works this deal out. And so he sends word to, to the king, this, this king of Ammon, the, the Ammonites who are oppressing these people, and he wants to negotiate terms. He's not just a, a get-in-there-with-a-sword kind of guy. He's a, he's, a, he's a businessman. Obviously, look at the deal he just worked. So now let's work a deal out with this king here and settle this thing. So let's negotiate. And the king says, no, I'm not going to negotiate. Israel took my land and I'm taking it back. And Jephthah says, no, let me explain something to you. When they came out of Egypt generations ago, when they came out of Egypt, the king who was in power of your people at that time, he wouldn't let them cross through their land. And so God gave that land to them to cross over. And so God allowed them to defeat your people. The Lord is the one who allowed the Israelites to defeat your king and take possession of that land at that time. So if you've got a beef with anybody, you've got a beef with the God of Israel. So how about this? How about you have your God take it up with our God? And so we have so little in Scripture about this man Jephthah, but I think what we do have is pretty telling. And uh, so chapter 11, verse 27. He said, I have not done you wrong, but you are doing wrong by attacking me. May the Lord, the judge, that's the judge, judge this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. But the Ammonite king disregarded the message sent by Jephthah. So don't think that we can stereotype Jephthah at this time of rebellion and anarchy that was going on in this period of the judges. He knows his Israelite history. He knows the Lord God. He believes that he's on firm footing because God has given this land to his people. And so he acknowledges that regardless of, of whatever power Jephthah is hoping to obtain, it is God who is the supreme judge of mankind. And so Scripture says that the Lord's Spirit empowered Jephthah. We've heard that before, haven't we, in these people here in Hebrews. The Lord's Spirit empowered him. He passed through Gilead and Manasseh and went to Mizpah and Gilead. From there he approached the Ammonites. And again, this is a familiar, familiar phrase. The Lord's Spirit empowered. The Lord's Spirit came upon him. So time and again, 
this Spirit of God is, it invigorates someone so that they're able to accomplish what God has set out for them to do, what He wants done. And it's not moving against their will. It's not all of a sudden you get the little you know, spinning circles in their eyes and they're this robotic movement. That's not what this is about at all. But there's something special between the moment before and the moment after somebody is, is empowered or the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them. And so we saw this with Samson. Remember that before he was strengthened with his supernatural power several times. And so God enabled, not beyond their own desire, but he enabled Jephthah with this courage to do what needed to be done. How did he do it? Through the assurance of his presence. God is with me in this. This is God's will. So Gideon needed assurance, right? Gideon needed assurance of, of, of God's presence. So he did what? Hey, Lord, I got this fleece. Can, we, can you do this water thing with this fleece, right? Barak needed assurance of God's presence. So, so God, I need assurance that, that you're with me. So I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking your girl Deborah, <laughs> the one that you've been with, I'm taking her with me, right, to, to fulfill this, this battle, to carry out this battle. How can we be sure God is with those who put their faith in Him? How can we be sure of it? What did Tommy read this morning? 1 John chapter 4.13 By this, we know that we reside in God and He in us, in that He has given us His Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, God gives us His Spirit. So Jephthah is feeling it. He's feeling it now. And, and, and somewhat like Samson, in his feeling it, he gives over to what appears to be a pretty impulsive vow that he makes. I was thinking uh, the, about this weekend coming up. You know, we had the air, sh- the air shows going on, and some of y'all probably went out there, and we didn't get to, but I certainly heard them uh, all over Jacksonville as we were doing things out uh, yesterday. But I was thinking about, in 1986, there was a movie that came out called Top Gun. So I was in 11th grade. And so a Top Gun came out, and so it was about the, 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 the Navy Fighter Weapons School. And so Tom Cruise was the lead uh, actor in that, Maverick. You know, he was this, uh, this fighter pilot, you know. And one, a great line from this movie is where Tom Cruise's character, Maverick, has just done some just crazy, impressive flying, but certainly against the, the rules of the Navy. And so his commander brings him in front and center. And his commander gets in his face and says, Son, your body's writing checks that your ego cannot cash. And I love that line. And I thought about that because now Jephthah's going to pull out his checkbook. And he's going to write a check. Verse 30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord saying, If you really do hand the Ammonites over to me, then whoever is the first to come through the doors of my house to meet me when I return safely from fighting the Ammonites, he will belong to the Lord and I will offer him up as a burnt sacrifice. And Jephthah approached the Ammonites to fight with them. And the Lord handed them over to him. He defeated them from Eror all the way to Manith, 20 cities in all, even as far as abel Karamim, And he wiped them out. And the Israelites humiliated the Ammonites. Lord, if you will just get me through this, then I promise I will... What? What do we say? Lord, if you will just let me do this, then I'll... Y'all ever said anything like that? (laughs) You ever heard someone bargain with God? Lord, if you'll do this, then I'll 
do that. Jephthah's not really bargaining, though. The sense here is that he expected, he expected to get this victory. He had no, he didn't doubt that he was going to get this victory. He believed that God was going to deliver him. And so there's a post that goes around on Facebook occasionally, usually when the lottery gets real high. Here's a picture of my lottery ticket. If you'll like this post, when I win, I will share this lottery with every, this, my winnings with everybody who likes this post. Y'all ever seen that? I didn't ask if you'd ever click like. I just asked if you'd seen it. I always wonder, really? Are you really? What if you really did win it? People make a lot of confident statements, a lot of confident claims when they have nothing to lose, right? See, I'm the most rock-solid Christian standing here today, right here in this spot, in the safety of this building, the safety of my little town, the safety of my little state, my little country. I'm a rock-solid Christian when no one's threatening my safety or when I'm looking across someone else's misery, (laughs) then I feel pretty strong. When Jephthah came home from Mizpah, there was his daughter hurrying out to meet him, dancing to the rhythm of tambourine. She was his only child. Except for her, he had no son or daughter. And when he saw her, he ripped his clothes and said, Oh no! My daughter, you have completely ruined me. You have brought me disaster. Can you imagine that? So you've gone for a long time, gone on a trip, you know, a day or two or whatever. Just come home from a day of work and your kid runs up to you and you know, grabs you, embraces you, or grandkids, you see your grandkids for the first time in a while and they come to you and you say, you've completely ruined me. I mean, what does that do to someone? His daughter comes out in this joyous, Daddy, you've won the battle. You've defeated the enemy. And he says, you have ruined me. You've brought me disaster by showing up here. See, it's so easy to be faith-filled when everything's going great. But the real test of faith comes when things are falling apart. So I'm going to speculate a little bit. I'm going to speculate that Jephthah in the heat of battle, I don't know how long it took, how long you've been fighting, I'm going to speculate that he had forgotten about that confident vow that he made. I'm going to speculate. Otherwise, why would he not have sent somebody ahead? Hey, look, I, hey, hey, you know, Obadiah, I need you to run ahead. I need, I need you to pick. Uh, listen, uh, uh, Simeon is, uh, is, hasn't been really good about keeping the house clean. Make sure he comes out first. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to orchestrate who comes out first. I'm thinking Jephthah had, hadn't given any more thought to what he had said, especially in this moment. And this is kind of an ambiguous passage here in Hebrew, and there's, there's, there's a, whole lot, a whole lot written back and forth about what did he actually say regarding this offering to the Lord. Did he, did he say, I'll offer a, a burnt offering? Did he, actually, you know, or did he offer her as a burnt offering, or was she offered as an offering to live in perpetual virginity in service to God at the temple? Pick a book, and you'll read both of those Wondering. So, what was Jephthah here at this point? Was he mourning the loss of her life? Or was he mourning the loss of his dynastic future since his daughter now would never marry, would never bear children, and he 
looking at his only child would not be outlived. So what, what was it? We could spend a whole lot of time going through the why and why not, but that's not really the focus of our study this morning. Jephthah here is called out in Hebrews 11 within this section of Scripture that we've been looking at, illustrating what it means to live your life by faith in God. And he's listed among the likes of Abraham and Elijah and, and Noah, and you've got Jacob. And then he's grouped, this little group here, with Gideon and Samson. You've got them all kind of running together there towards the end. So it makes it difficult. This is difficult. This entire section of Hebrews is hard to discern if you're looking for human reasoning behind these examples of faith. And so from chapter 1 to chapter 13, this author is is appealing to our reasoning that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, and His sacrifice of, of life and death is the way that God has predetermined that we're going to have eternal relationship with Him and with the humanity that He's created. And so when our human reasoning falls short, as it absolutely will and does, then it's faith upon which we continue to walk with God. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what cannot be seen. And to live by faith is to live believing that, that God's promises, what He has promised, namely His love, His faithfulness, His forgiveness, and ultimately His salvation, that all of those are undeniable, even when they are imperceptible. Faith moves us forward, right? We've talked about that. Faith moves us forward through triumph and through tragedy. And so faith does not depend on how I feel or how you feel about me. How I feel about you, how you feel about me, or how we each feel. Faith does not depend on that. Faith doesn't depend on how much of my life's plan I can control. Because faith is about relinquishing control. Faith is about acknowledging that God is in fact in ultimate control, even as we recognize that He has given us self-control. The ability to make our own decisions and plot our own course. And so perhaps Jephthah here is, is in this list. Maybe he's there because he made this rash vow based on his full belief, his full assurance that God is going to deliver him to fulfill it. Maybe it was his faith in God in the making of this vow that put him on this page. He, he made it based on faith. He valiantly charged into battle, fueled by faith that, that God is going to deliver this enemy into my hands. Jephthah had to give the battle commands, certainly. Jephthah's the one who had to provide the, the leadership and the strategy for this fighting. Jephthah had to wield the sword, but he did so believing that God had already won the victory. So what if we started every day with that full assurance? What if we started every day of our life with the full assurance that no matter what, from sunup till sundown, from feet on the floor to feet in the bed, that God has won the day's victory. What if we start every day believing that? And I'm going to have to charge into this battle. I've got to get up and I've got to fight. But I'm going to do it believing that faith is the victory. Faith that God is in ultimate control. And I'm going to look to Him for guidance and courage to utilize my self-control, my choices, my decisions. And we don't have to bargain with God. We don't have to make vows with God to get this. God's message is consistent throughout Scripture. And a few hundred years later, He's going to restate this, His same promise is, is to King Solomon. King Solomon. We see the same promise throughout Judges that we see to King Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. He says, If my people, 
God says, if my people who belong to me, if they humble themselves, if they pray, if they seek to please me and repudiate their sinful practices, then I will respond from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And after way too much reading about this, I don't believe, this is Sean speaking now, I don't believe Jephthah offered his daughter as a literal burnt offering. I believe he offered her as a perpetual virgin to serve God for the remainder of her life. If you want to discuss why or why not, I'm happy to do it later. (laughs) Not right now. My question today is this. Why is Jephthah's name mentioned by the author of Hebrews? Of all the examples afforded to us in Scripture, and of all the examples known to the writer of this particular book, beyond what even we may know, why Jephthah? Why Jephthah? Judges 11, my father, she replied, his daughter, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promise. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. And after the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. And from this comes the Israelite tradition that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. It's easy to be faith filled when everything is going great. But the real test comes when life is falling apart, when everything around us is crumbling. And Jephthah made this vow to God, and I believe in the excitement of the moment, he made this vow. God never asked him to make this vow, and there's no record that God approved of him making or disapproved of him making it. And I think Jephthah was sincere when he makes it because he exalts God to the place of honor. And God is the one who is truly in control of man's eternal destiny. I believe that's what Jephthah was doing. And when... Jephthah comes to realize the consequence of his vow that he makes. Even when he realizes what it's cost him, he doesn't break his vow. He doesn't go back. There were ways out of this. You can go back and read the old law. But he gives up his child, his only child, for the salvation of his people. And so Jephthah, this illegitimate son, the one who was searching for so, so hard for relevance and, and reinstatement as somebody worthy of a place in the house of his people. Now he's going to sacrifice his own house. This daughter who's never buried any children for him. Not going to carry on this family name or this family memory. Because he said, I made an oath to the Lord and I cannot break it. Oh, how easy it is to live by faith when everything's going great. But the real test comes when things are falling apart. See, Jephthah, he went into battle because he was promised this place of honor, this preeminence with the victory. And he believed that he was going to win because he believed the promise of God through the power of his spirit. Jephthah would get his victory, but he would lose his life. He would lose his only child. And although God's going to use him to fight a few more battles, Jephthah's life is summed up in one verse. Judges 12 and verse 7. Jephthah led Israel for six years and then he died and was buried in his city in Gilead. And Jephthah would die while his people were still burdened by the sword of the enemy. 
And as Hebrews tells us, Jephthah, just like all of those before, were commended for their faith, yet did not receive what was promised. For God had provided something better for us so that they would be made perfect together with us. See, not only did Jephthah lose his daughter, but Jephthah lost the, lost the possibility that his daughter would bear the Messiah. Remember, they're still looking for the Savior of their people that God had been promising them. And every daughter born unto Israel had the potential to bear the Messiah, the Deliverer of Israel, but not for Jephthah now. Not for Jephthah. Whatever honor he might have attained through his daughter is now gone. See, we're not promised to get everything we want, but we are promised something better, something eternal, eternal hope in Jesus Christ. So he goes on to write, Therefore, because of this, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, such as Jephthah and all these others, we, us today, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So think of Him who endured such opposition against Himself by sinners, so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. And this record of Jephthah is certainly a difficult text to, to interpret, both for the options of the outcome of this vow, and, and, and they deserve careful consideration. They do. But think about this book of Judges as a whole. The whole period of the Judges. This whole period, it begins with the faithfulness of Joshua as he leads the children of Israel into the Promised Land. His generation, and this, this tribe of Judah. But it terminates. It ends at the end of the book with this tribe of Benjamin becoming becoming just as the people of the land, Canaanites, even in themselves, in their practice, and not looking any different from the people of the land, as wicked in some ways as the people of Sodom. And as this book develops, God's people decay to this greater and greater wickedness. But the Lord was merciful and He kept sending these judges time after time to deliver His people. And the greater the wickedness of the people, the greater the Lord's salvation through that judge. And by the end, you got Gideon. Gideon has to forsake his family. Remember, he had to go in and tear down his own father's idols. Forsake his father and tear down his idols. Jephthah must offer up his only child. And then we got Samson we looked at. Samson has to give his life for the people in order for God's people to experience salvation from sin and from their oppression forsaking his family, forsaking his home, offering up his child, giving his life. See, God and His ability to save is not bound by the failings of humanity. Not my failings and not your failings. Regardless of past circumstances and regardless of past choices in our lives. So can you see this, this list in Hebrews 11? Can you see how this is not, these are not extraordinary people? They're really not. These are not people who are so far removed from you and me that are in this list. In fact, they are the most ordinary of humanity who found themselves in the hands of an extraordinary God. You remember what Paul wrote about God's salvation plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 said, Think 
Think about the circumstances of your call. Think about your obedience to Christ, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position. Where were you before you were baptized into Christ? Before you came to Christ? Who were you? But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing, to set aside what is regarded as something, so that no one can boast in His presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, living by faith is foolish to those without faith. But for those of us looking to Jesus, the author and the the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, those who are looking to Jesus, faith is the assurance of God's promised presence in our lives each and every day, through every hill and every valley, through every triumph, through every tragedy, and the boring days in between. Living by faith. And it's the confidence To face tomorrow knowing who holds the future in their hands. And that's the only posture that's pleasing to God. And it's that relationship through which He rewards our own pitiful condition. I don't know what's up with Jephthah. (laughs) Jephthah said something I'm sure he wished he could have taken back. But by faith, even if that vow meant his daughter would not carry the Messiah. Even if that meant that his life was ending, he went into victory. He went into that battle knowing that the victory was God's. And that's how we've got to live every day of our lives. Regardless of the past. Regardless of this morning. It's about tomorrow. It's about the next step. Step by step. Living by faith. Believing. That our God, the God of creation, the God that put all of this in order, the God that created all of us in His image, is the one who holds the future in His hands. Your future. My future. The future of this entire world. All of those past. All of those in the future. As long as this world keeps spinning. It is God who is supreme. And that's how we've got to live. It's got to show up in the words we speak, in the, in the, in the, the steps that we take, in the relationships that we build, in how we treat one another in Christ, and how we treat those who are outside of Christ. Because they will know we are Christians by our love, not by our words, by our actions, by what they see, by what they experience. They will understand what it means for the Spirit of God to be living in us. Are you living by the Spirit? Are you empowered by the Spirit? That's not something remarkable just for Jephthah and these others. We are told that when you were baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you received the Spirit of God. And we also understand from the writings of Paul that the fruit of the Spirit... To know we are living by the Spirit is to see love in our lives. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because of these sorts of things, there is no law against them. So how are you living today? Are you living by faith? 
sin will weigh you down. It will drag you to the very bottoms of your eternal fleshly existence. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross and die for us. He did not live this life in obedience to the Father so that we would live our lives burdened by sin, burdened by shame, burdened by guilt, burdened by other people. Jesus Christ died and was raised again by the Father to free us from that. So this morning, will you live in freedom with Christ? Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive God's Spirit as a guarantee, a promise, a guide towards your eternal life. This morning, if you're a brother and sister in Christ and you need prayers to live stronger by faith, will you come this morning as we stand and sing and let us pray for you?